Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. If we haven't had the chance to meet, uh, my name is Drew, and it's a joy and a privilege to get to be one of the pastors here at the Rim Church. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if you're like me, uh, but I love waiting. I love it. Uh, I love finding a long line and a slow cashier for checking out at the grocery store. Gives me uh, a couple opportunities and moments to just contemplate the need for some extra turkey jerky, maybe a bag of Skittles, catch up on the latest celebrity gossip via magazine headlines. Uh, I love being put on hold when making a phone call. Uh, Such great music helps populate the Spotify playlist. Um, I love arriving uh, to a doctor's appointment and starting off in a large waiting room, and after 20 minutes, maybe moving into a smaller, isolated waiting room, where you wait another half an hour. Now, obviously, uh, I'm joking, Uh, being a little facetious, I absolutely hate waiting. And I think even just shopping for Christmas has just reminded me of how much I hate waiting, and I'm guessing this morning that I'm not alone. My daughter, Tilly, who's about to be four, her new phrase when things are moving slow or she's just done with something is she just says, Dad, this is so boring. This is so boring. And if we're honest, I think most of us find waiting to be boring. It's tiresome. It's annoying. It's a giant waste of time. And it's only tolerable if we need or what we need and what we want, uh, we want it bad enough that we're willing to kind of step into the waiting. And our Western culture treats waiting as a necessary evil at best and a criminal offense at worst. We prefer action, growth, productivity, and progress. That's why we pay extra for Amazon Prime so that things can be delivered at the same day or next day. I mean, Seriously, buy a different vendor or a different product if it's going to take more than two days. Uh, We have a microwave and an air fryer to expedite the process of cooking our meals. Uh, We love fast food and are so grateful that Chick-fil-A has cracked the code of how to get us through that drive-through so fast. Efficiency is the name of the game and waiting is the opposite of efficiency. And what's interesting is that our modern world responds to waiting even more negatively than it has in the past. Science writer Chelsea Wald observed in an article for Natalist Magazine, says this. She says, slow things drive us crazy because the fast pace of society has warped our sense of timing. Things that our great-great-grandparents would have found miraculously efficient now drive us around the bend. Patience is a virtue that's been vanquished in the Twitter age. Now, I just want you to think about this, how much the pace of modern life has increased. 
In his book, Social Acceleration, A New Theory of Minority, uh, uh, this guy's name is Rosa, uh, Hartmut Rosa, informs us, this is wild, that the speed of human movement from modern times, so this is about like pre-modern times, about a thousand years ago, to today has increased by a factor of 100. Meaning if you lived a thousand years ago, that the pace of your life, the rhythm of your life was a hundred times slower than it currently is. The speed of communication has skyrocketed by a factor of 10 million in the 20th century. And data, data transmission has soared by a factor of around 10 billion. Okay? So let me just give you a practical example. We now practically insist web pages to load in at a quarter of a second before we get frustrated. When we had no problem with a two-second load-in in in 2009, a four-second load-in in 2006, today in 2022, videos that don't load or didn't load in less than one and a half seconds had no hope of going viral. That's wild. So if your your video, no matter how amazing the content was on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, like if it, if it took longer than a second and a half to load, you had no chance of going viral. So what effect does this exponentially increasing fast tempo have on our lives? Well, Jason Farman in his book, Delayed Response, The Art of Waiting from the Ancient to the Instant World, he says this, that our struggle in waiting is actually causing higher stress levels an overall unhealthy population. And Wald, in that same article that she wrote this, the accelerating pace of society resets our internal timers, which then go off more often in a response to slow things, putting us in a constant state of anxiety, annoyance, impulsiveness, and rage. This explains, for example, why we find it so emotionally challenging to keep pace with a slow walker. According to Wald, this feeling, whether you're in the grocery store and you get behind somebody slow, or maybe it's a part of your family and they're just moving slow, uh, this feeling now has a name called sidewalk rage. (laughs) And... In psychology today, this can actually be quantified using a pedestrian aggressiveness syndrome scale developed by a psychologist at the University of Hawaii. Now, watch this. Spiritual, in the spiritual realm, many followers of Jesus, we feel the same way about waiting. Waiting is undesirable. It's a delay, a detour, a passive blank space for, on our schedule, and we view spiritual waiting like a type of desert or wilderness experience, a barren season of life that we just have to endure or get through. Waiting feels synonymous with God being silent or absent or God withholding what we need. It feels the same when we hear waiting as suffering. 
Like it's just one of life's troubles or tests. And the best that we can hope for in a season of waiting is to find some glimmer of peace so that we can grin and bear it and hope that the waiting will soon be over. But what if, what if we've been viewing waiting all wrong? What if in the waiting, we're actually invited into something special? What if we're actually invited into something more? What if waiting is actually a core metaphor in the biblical narrative? And what if waiting is a vital ingredient to the human experience and to the life that many of us long for? What if it's essential in our relationship and walk with Jesus? What if waiting is not only normal, what if it could actually be sacred? And what if it could actually be spiritually life-giving and maybe, maybe even enjoyable? Well, today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the text that I just read. And uh, we're going to look at uh, an older woman who's been waiting for a majority of her life. We're going to look at a woman, for many of us, just in three short verses, we'll look at her life. And if we're very honest, we would look at her and go, hey, that not only is she waiting, that we would even venture to say that she's wasted her life. That she missed it. She threw it away. As Americans, many of us, that's what we would look. We would see the text and be like, she totally missed it. But I, I want to venture to say this morning that I don't believe at all that Anna missed it. And maybe, just maybe, she gets it more than we do. So I want us to read this text again, and then we're going to unpack it. So in verse 36 of chapter 2, here's where it says. We just read it. We'll read it again. So there was also a prophetess. We just pause. Just in the verses previous, we, we've, we meet a guy named Simeon who's also been waiting his entire life uh, for, to get to meet Jesus, God in the flesh. And he'd got, received a promise that before he passed away that he would get to see Jesus face to face. And so he does. Mary and Joseph, on, but really, Jesus is a week old. They take him uh, to kind of the purification rites, and he gets to meet Simeon. Um, and then we meet this other character, Anna, says that there was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. And she was well along in years. Luke is so PC. I love it. This, he's saying she's old as dirt. Um, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Okay. Uh, and then she's a widow for 84 years. So she's married for seven years, and then her husband passes away. And the scripture's not super clear. Luke doesn't tell us exactly. There's two different translations potential here, uh, that she is 84 years old, and so that she was probably roughly about 14 when she got married. So she's 21 when her husband passes away. And so we don't know if it's been 63 years, roughly, uh, that she's been a widow, or if it's 84 years since her husband's passed away, which make her about 105. Either way, it's a long time. And it says this, she did not leave the temple serving or worshiping God night and day with fasting and prayer. And at that very moment, the very moment 
that Simeon meets Jesus. Anna rounds a corner, and she came up and began to thank God as she sees Jesus and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And here's what we know. That this woman has experienced some tragedy in her life, and she's experienced a lot of time. Two things that make waiting really difficult. As Anna loses her husband, I'm, I'm guessing here that her dream to be a wife, a mom, all shattered on the kitchen floor at 21 years of age. And many of us, I think the holiday seasons can be tough. Like even just kind of talking to, to, to many of us, even this morning, like some of us were pumped about the season. It's filled with lots of energy and charge, and we're just excited in anticipation of just Christmas. And then for many of us, it's, it, it just is what it is. And then for some of us, it's, it's difficult. It's the first season that we'll spend without a loved one. Or maybe the kids aren't coming home this year. Or it's just been difficult, and it's not what you anticipated or hoped for in the season. And your situation, you find yourself in, it's waiting. And it may not have been 84 years, but it sure does feel like it. That you've been waiting on a solution, a deal to go through, a diagnosis, a cure, a relationship to be mended, a breakthrough, a rescue. And you find yourself in a season of waiting that just feels heavy. And church, I want to just encourage you just as a side note. If Anna teaches us anything, it's this, that God sees you in your waiting. And that he has not forgotten you. He's not forgotten you. And this time of waiting is not wasted. Many of us will look at the scripture and go, wow, just got married. All the dreams shattered. 84 years. Just alone, waiting in the temple, just praying and fasting. Wow. Really feels like a life thrown away. But what if she experienced I mean, the beauty of her life and all that it was intended to be through the process of waiting. Now, real quick, I want to pause and I want to hit us with three myths that I think the majority of us have about waiting. When we say the word waiting, what pops into our mind? We're just going to speak against those really, really quick. And I'll show you some scripture to kind of back this up. First myth is this. Uh, waiting is passive. That's what we feel like. That we feel like waiting is, is passive. And in, in a in a culture where progress is king, being productive matters. Our value comes from what we produce. Then, being this, then waiting feels so passive. And many of us hate waiting because it feels passive. And so we have this tendency to want to just grab it and try to take control. Now, um, there's a lot of stories in the whole Old Testament. It's a lot about waiting. Um, but I want to show you just a few that went wrong. Um, in 1 Samuel 13, we, we meet King Saul. And King Saul is the first king uh, of Israel. And the scripture tells us in verse 13 that he waited seven days for this appointed time that Samuel, this prophet, had set. So he's waiting to, to give a sacrifice to God so then they can go into to battle. So he waits seven days, and then he gets impatient. He's like, surely 
this isn't what God wants me to do. So yes, he told me to wait. He told me to stay here and, and wait for Samuel to come to do the sacrifice. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take matters in my own hand. I'm going to try to control the, the, the situation and try to kind of speed up the process. And Saul's impatience and his choice not to wait upon the Lord actually caused him to lose his kingship. That this would be the very act that God would remove like his hand off, off Saul. You think about Abraham and Sarah who were given this amazing promise that in their old age that they're going to have a child, a son, who's going to be and kind of lead the nation. And they wait 25 years after this promise has been given. And eventually Abraham and Sarah go, I don't know if God can be trusted in his timing. We need to control it. And so they take a slave and Abraham impregnates her and gives birth to Ishmael and the entire Muslim nation. Conflict still today because like of their lack of their choice of waiting. And we have this tendency to think it's passive and so we have to take control. But there's this really cool story in Joshua 18 where I love this. Where it begins to speak into that waiting is not passive. Actually, there is action in waiting. And Joshua, he comes to the Israelites and he says this. He asks the question. They're kind of on the outskirts of the promised land that God has given them and told them to step in. But their fear is causing them to hold back, to not actually step into obedience. And Joshua looks and says, how long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given to you. He's telling them, hey, the, your waiting is off here. God has given you steps. This is not passive. Take this step forward. Waiting is not passive. If, maybe think about it this way. This has really been helpful for me. Um, many of us, maybe after uh, the gathering today, you may go grab lunch somewhere. And you go to a restaurant. And there's a person at that restaurant uh, that will take your order. And we'll bring you drinks and bring your food. And we call that person a what? A waiter. And then we think about the action that they do for us. We would say that they did what? They waited on us. Now here's the deal. If you ever go to a restaurant and your waiter is passive in waiting for you, uh, the tip goes down. Over time, you get tired of waiting, and you just end up leaving. And so that, the, the point is, that I want you to see this, that waiting's not passive. It's actually an act of servant. Actually, it's walking alongside of Jesus in this journey. It's, it's moving forward. Or maybe think of another, well, I'll pause there. I'll give you that illustration in a second. So first off, it's not passive. Second, uh, we think that it's purposeless, and it's not. Waiting's not purposeless. It has so much purpose. King David is anointed after Saul, after the, the hand of God is removed from him, King David anointed king, but then has to wait 15 years before he's crowned. And it's in this waiting that God would teach David how to have a heart after himself. It's in the waiting that, that David would write a majority of the Psalms that we find in our Old Testament. It's in the waiting that David learned to be a good king through first learning to be a good shepherd. The waiting has a purpose. So maybe think about it this way. Implanting seeds into the ground for like a tree, 
You plant the seeds, and then you wait. And sometimes you wait a long time. But in the process of waiting, it's not passive. You're watering. You're fertilizing. You're removing things that could prevent the tree from growing. So it's not passive. And at the same time, there's purpose. Because what feels like waiting for us, there's actually growth. That something's happening even when we don't see it. None of us run outside and look at our plants or our children and stare at them and just wanting to see them grow. Like it doesn't happen. You can't see growth. Like, but that's why when we're little, we, we, we set our kids up against kind of the door frame and we take a pencil and a ruler and we mark it. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, Tilly runs off and leaves and she eats some vegetables and runs back and she comes back and she's the same height. She doesn't feel herself grow, but over time and in the waiting, we come back year or two or three and we realize there's, there's been growth. There's been movement. It's not purposeless. And then the third thing I'll say this, uh, I think a myth is that, that waiting's always painful. I mean, I think there actually could be pleasure in waiting if we have the proper perspective. Psalm 73, uh, the psalmist would say this, who do I have in heaven but you? Like everything's kind of falling apart. I find myself in a consistent season of waiting and I desire nothing on earth but you, my flesh, my heart, my f- they may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. James 1 says this, this is outlandish, but he says this, and I'm learning, I'm first baby steps and learning to believe this to be true. He says this, he says, consider it a great joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. I love it. James, I'm on board. Lacking nothing? Check. Complete and mature? Check. Endurance? It makes sense? Check. Endurance that helps kind of test the faith and make that stronger? Check. Various trials? I get it. Man, yeah, we live in a world where there's lots of trouble. Yes, check. Consider it a great joy. I don't know about that part. I don't know about that. But what if there's actually could be joy in the waiting? If that's true, how how do we wait well? When the moment waiting happens, the moment that it gets difficult, these myths begin to get really close to us, get really close to our heart. I was thinking about just in, in the amount of what feels like waiting rooms that my wife and I have been in in this past year and a half. And with our son, and he was born with some kind of special needs and has allowed, like, just pushed us into being in and out of, and just a lot of hospital visits, a, a lot of just, I don't know, questions, a lot of waiting and diagnosis. And my wife has carried so, so much of that. And that we, I was just thinking about this, this morning of there's moments of, like, man, extreme waiting. Where we felt like we had zero clue what was next. And at the hospital and, you know, these moments where you're meeting with neurologists and you're meeting with cardiologists and you get into a car and 
There's that moment where you're processing everything and, and going, I, I, I don't know what's next. I have no clue. It feels like we are stuck in, in the waiting. And we don't know if, if, our, if our son is, is, is ever going to leave the house. We don't know if he'll ever get married. We don't know if, if we'll have to bury him and not the other way around. Like, we just, we don't know. We're just stuck in, in the waiting. And, and in that moment, and I've shared this with, with many of you, the doubt creeps in, the pain creeps in. And I remember there being a moment in, in a car where I was like, God, if you take my son, you and I are done. I, 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 can't, I can't do this. Like I've never experienced something where more people have been praying for us. Like nothing that like... Have I experienced it? If you're going to answer, you're going to step in. Like, this is the moment. The waiting should be over now. And, and it's in that moment, in a car, in a parking garage, that in full transparency, like, I felt as though the Lord just met me in that space. And in that waiting, just felt like there was this embrace the safety where I could just pound on his chest like a good father. And he just kind of held us. And what I'm learning is in the waiting, whether it be in the NICU or in a waiting room, it feels, the waiting feels passive. It feels purposeless. It feels painful. But the truth is, that it's in the waiting that we learn to rest in the presence of Jesus. It's, it's in the waiting where everything that we have this tendency to use as a crutch in life, where it just kind of gets removed, and we're left with what's real, and it's just really sobering. But the truth is, we don't want that sobering feeling. We don't want to do business with God. We don't want to be honest with where we're really at and what we're really feeling. And so busyness and the fast pace is just a really good coping mechanism that distracts us from what's really going on in our heart. But Jesus invites us into something so much deeper and sweeter in the waiting. And when it comes to looking at Anna's life, there's really there's two things that you see. And I just want to kind of unpack these as, this, as a practical use of our waiting time. For Anna, it says this in verse 37. That she was a widow for 84 years. And she did not leave the temple worshiping, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. That in the waiting, Anna finds herself worshiping. She finds herself worshiping. Now, listen, a lot of times when we think about that, we just think about singing songs. And that may be very much a part of it. But what worship is, ultimately, is where does your heart, your attention, what is it spotlighting? Because what it is spotlighting is what you are worshiping. If you wonder what it is that you are worshiping currently, just look at your calendar and your pocketbook, and that will tell you the things that matter most to you and what you're worshiping in this season. 
And so it says here that she's spotlighting, that she's ultimately, through prayer and fasting, creating space for herself to really step in and discover and experience the beauty of who Jesus is. And so that's what that prayer is. Prayer is this, this communion, this conversation, this, this walking, this dialogue with King Jesus. So she, she has this intimacy, this relationship where she's able to walk with Jesus. And not only that, she's fasting, she's creating space, removing distractions so that she can zero in. That it's all about the object of her waiting. So think about that. What is it in this season that you are waiting for? And if it's waiting for a job promotion, a salary increase, a future spouse, some circumstances to change, then here's the deal. The waiting... There may never be joy in that. You may, the circumstance may shift. It may change. But your heart isn't. And you'll step into that and it may temporarily fix the problem. may satisfy you for a moment. But then now there's another promotion. There's more that you need. But if the object of your waiting is fixed on Jesus in like the waiting season, then no matter how the circumstance plays itself out, you get the object of your worship and delight. And when you see that Jesus really is a treasure, that he's worth pursuing with everything that you have, and all of your heart's attention goes there, then no matter what you step into, you'll be satisfied. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I, Micah 7, this kind of rattled me this week. Micah 7, he, he lists out this long list of all of these things in his life that have failed. And he starts off and he's talking about crops and then he just gets like really specific. He's like, hey, I mean, just imagine, if you will, bank account just zeroes out. Imagine all of your friends, peace out. You lose your home, marriage on the rocks. You have no kids, all of those things. If those are the object of your hope, those are the object of your waiting, you're gonna be sorely disappointed. Are those things good? Yes, they're just not supreme. And then Micah 7, 7, he says this, he says, but as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Our view of waiting is based upon the one we are waiting for. Now, this is not my wife's story at all. She's way low maintenance, but uh, a lot of the fellas in the room, you, you can kind of identify with that moment of getting ready for a date or some type of engagement or party, and you're waiting on your wife. Maybe it's a first date. You get there early. And the waiting is worth it when the object of your waiting is worth it. And so when Jesus is the object of our waiting, he ends up being worth it because he never lets us down. So is Jesus the object of your waiting or is it something else? I think also, man, that's so true. We see through worship and prayer and fasting, like there's a lot of joy that can be had. Isaiah 30, verse 18 says this. It says, yet the Lord... This is so cool. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. 
blessed or happy are all who wait for him. Psalm 1611, that you, God, you make known to me the path of life, that you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In the waiting, that typically whatever thing it is that we're waiting for, we may not have, but in the waiting, we have all of Jesus. And in those moments, usually we're the most sober of, about his presence. And so if, if this is true, if he really does make known to us the path of life, if it really is true that in his presence we find the fulfillment of our joy and pleasures forevermore, then in the waiting there can actually be an unbelievable amount of joy. That it's in the worship and the fasting and the praying and the pursuit of this object of our waiting that we find true joy. But not only that is there worship, but we also see that Anna's not only creating space for herself, but I love this, that she's so selfless that she begins to create space for others. In verse 38, it says, coming up at that very moment, she gives thanks to God. So she sees Jesus. She hears the announcement and immediately her heart turns to gratitude. And then she begins to speak about the child to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. For all the other people that their hearts were in the same place waiting, waiting for Jesus that she begins to share with them. She begins to tell them about this Jesus. The whole narrative of the Old Testament, like I said earlier, is just a, it's a story of waiting. The, the gospel story, the gospel narrative that you and I were created to know and to love Jesus, to walk with him, to know him intimately. And we make it three chapters into the book before we ultimately look at God and say, you know what, thank you, but kind of no thank you. I kind of want to do this my own way. And in that moment, we, instead of choosing to wait, we choose to grab control. We choose to do this our own way. And in that moment, the world fractures. Sin enters the world, cracks it. And we feel that. Like every one of us know that. We feel like you don't watch the news or scroll through your social media very long before you're like, yeah, it's a little broken. It's intense. But the entire Old Testament, although it's filled with a bunch of really wild stories, it's really just one giant promise and a giant invitation for the people of God to wait on that promise. That God sees us in all of our brokenness. He loves us too much to leave us there. One day, he's going to send a hero to fix every bit of this. And after 400 years of silence and waiting, God chooses to leave his throne room, wrap himself in human flesh, and move into our neighborhood. And walk on earth for 33 years, perfect, teaching you and I what it means to be fully human and fully alive. And then he willingly lays his life down on a cross. Our death penalty for our treason against the high king. And the wrath of God poured out on Jesus. He's placed into a tomb. And three days later, he walks out of the grave, proving that he has the power over sin and death. And that all who call upon the name of Jesus, all who push all chips in and say, Jesus, my life is yours. In that moment, that very moment, we go from being enemies of God, separated 
by our own selfishness to being adopted into the family. And then the rest of the story plays out this way. We celebrate at Christmas that Jesus came. And then as followers of Jesus, we look forward to him coming back and waiting. And one day, for every single one of us, as we walk with him on planet Earth, one day, each of our hearts will stop beating and we will stand before Jesus, fully known, fully loved. Or, church, if we're lucky enough and we wait well, one day, we may get to hear a trumpet sound and the sky crack open and King Jesus come back for his bride. This is a story, a story of redemption and a story of waiting. And then we get a chance to not only experience it ourselves, but to create it for other people. The Christmas season is all about waiting and hoping in God and learning. And don't miss this. Learning to wait on the Lord is an essential, transformative, and rewarding dimension of our spiritual formation. This mindset is so counterculture and unexpected, but it's so at the heart of of Jesus that waiting is actually a good thing. It's not merely a dry season or something that we need to escape. That spiritual waiting is crucial in the ongoing dimension of following and loving Jesus, and it is a vital part of the spiritual journey. Hosea 12, 6. The prophet is telling the people of Israel just all the ways that they've broken kind of these marriage vows between them and God. And then he says this. It's kind of like the crescendo moment. He says, but you, you must return to your God. Maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. The story of the Bible is all about the people of God learning to wait and trust and hope. Isaiah 40, very popular verse. You see a lot of, on like coffee mugs. It says this, those who wait for the Lord, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. The key to the blessing of this supercharged life verse is waiting on the Lord. Isaiah does not say those who endure spiritual dry season or those who preserve through a time of challenges or darkness. No. Isaiah doesn't think about waiting the same way that we often do, as this negative experience that you just can't wait for it to be over. Instead, waiting on the Lord is the pathway towards blessing. Waiting for followers of Jesus is a privilege, a pleasure, a step toward a deeper understanding of God and a richer experience of his boundless love for you and I. Waiting on the Lord is doing what you know to do, believing the Lord to do what only he can do, and resting in his ability to do so. In biblical terms, to wait on the Lord is anything but passive. It's expectant. It's waiting and watching for the Lord to move and then moving with him when he does move. I'll close with this. Yesterday, Tom and I were picking up the trailer to drop it off um, and just talking about, and somehow he brought up waiting. I don't know if he had no clue I was going to be talking about this. And, uh, 
I just, we dropped off and the trailer and then went, kind of dropped me off at the house. And I just kept thinking the whole time about something we talked about. That waiting has everything to do with learning to be. And waiting, the focus isn't on what we do. It's just on who we are. On our being. That God cares way more about our being than he does our doing. Waiting is learning to rest and trust and hope in Jesus. This is where we learn that Jesus is enough. This is why that Jesus could say outlandish things like this. Yeah, yeah, in, 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 in this world, you're going to have lots of troubles. It's wild. It's crazy. But guess what? You can take heart. I've overcome the world. Also, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. To follow me is stress-free. We don't carry anxiousness in following. Well, how could you? What? What? Because you learn to wait. You learn to rest in me. You learn to rest with Jesus is how this can be possible. In the waiting, we learn that Jesus is enough. Lamentations 3. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. So church, as custom, we want to give you 120 seconds for you just to sit with Jesus and to ask these questions. God, what are you speaking to me? Like, what are you inviting me into today? And secondly, what will it look like for you to be obedient to him? And I might even add this just to get really specific for us today. Today, what things are you waiting for? We're all waiting for something. What are you waiting for? Is there anything that you can do or should be doing right now in this season of waiting? And then I would encourage you, do what you can do and trust the Lord to do what only he can do. Take 120 seconds. for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.